All right. Well, look, I got my time on my phone. I'm going to set it here so we get you out. I'm not going to keep you long this morning so you can get out for lunch. And praise the Lord. No, we'll keep you long tonight. But I'm just joking. We'll, we won't do it too long. I know we got kiddos in here, and so I'll try to be funny. <clears throat> Everybody, if you met my wife, you'd know that she's the fun one. And uh, they, they, they've said that basically Lacey's the fun one and I'm the boring one. <laughs> or yeah, or you, or she's the she's the fun one. I'm the serious one. That made that sound a little bit better. But she she's always the life of the party. She's the fun, goofy one, and uh, she's kind of like the Kramer of the bunch when she shows up. <laughs> she's always just lots of fun, and she she brings all the the laughter and the fun into our lives. But uh, hey, those of you that came last night, thank you for coming. And we had. Uh, we had quite a few people that drove or flew from out of town, and uh, I forgot the states, Montana and Indiana and New Jersey, oh, purple, New Jersey, uh, Kentucky, so thank you guys for coming. That's always exciting and humbling for, for, for those of you to take that time and money to come and spend some time, but you know what, I, I firmly believe that when you're, when you're sowing your time and you're sowing your finances, you know, into these type of things, there's certainly always a harvest that's going to come back from that. And uh, so we just come with high, high expectations. And we had some good results come in last night. We were, uh, pastor's getting some by text last night. Actually, you want to share that, what you got last night? I mean, you have to tell a name if they don't want to. Why don't you share it, Steve? <laughs> oh, Steve, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the horse was here. <laughs> uh, most of you guys know me yeah. and our family. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of things going on yesterday. We had kids getting ferried around here and there, cousins. Hurt. So uh, we came in on live stream. And, you know, during this time, of course, it, it took a while. And at some points, I'm like, okay, is this what I thought it was? Well, maybe it isn't. But I kept it going. For whatever reason, something had... Something to have me keep it, just keep rolling in the background. And then some things came up and that uh, that was said, and I'm like, wait a minute, that kind of struck me close to home. That's my, that's my oldest daughter. Um, and then towards the end, right about the time I started hearing you say, what if, what if, what if, I had pain come off me. And, you know, in the beginning, it's like I kind of knew what this was about, and I don't, I believe supernaturally, supernatural healing exists, but nine times out of ten, maybe coming from the West Coast, I'm a little skeptical, but something changed, and a boldness as a result of that change. I mean, I've got some service-related injuries, and that, been living with some of that pain for a while, and it just lifted off. Amen. I did have an epiphany, though, something in, you know, not trying to bring down a good mood. Um, so if something like this can come through the phone, and I know it's different here. I know it's different being here in person. The spirit is here. It's, it's not the same thing being at home. But this kind of goes back to guarding your children because if I was able to experience something like this supernatural, what else is coming through that medium? Yeah. 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 Dr. Kitts. Yeah. 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 
Let's give Jesus some praise. Amen. that's the type of stuff that I love. I mean, it's always fun to have these big meetings and stuff. And, and you know, you, you go to so many services and we've got these ideas of what like a healing service looks like. And, and most of the times it's, it's bring up lots of people, line them up and we're just laying heads and watching people fall out. And, and we're like, man, look at the power. And then people get up and walk back to the seat and nothing happened. But man, you know, most of the ministers, they get so excited because people fell out. I could give a rip if you fall out or not. If you fall out, you better get up healed. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm concerned about. That, that's what I'm going after. I don't care if you fall, you shake, whatever happens. You know, you stand on one leg. and I don't care what you do. I, I, want, I want change to happen in the body. But, but furthermore, I'd rather it happen just you and Jesus without me being involved. That, that's our goal and that's our endeavor because I don't want the focus to be on a man or a woman. It never was supposed to be that way. Never was supposed to be that way. And, and there's a reason that we, that we teach healing from this standpoint about union. There's a reason we started off last night talking about what, what we did. I know in some ways it was kind of hard. I know in some ways it was coming from a, a different perspective. But maybe we need a different perspective because the other per perspective we had isn't working. And again, I'm not saying that I'm all right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. But I'm not saying I'm all right. But, what I, but, but I mean, we're getting results, and, and, and we've been doing this for years, and every year we're, we're seeing progressively more and more and more. And so that tells me, if, if you're continuing to see greater results, greater results, that tells me you're on the right path. Yeah. You know, one of, my, one of my very good friends years ago, he told me, he said, Chad, this is the way I look at it. If 51% of the people are getting healed, you're heading in the right direction. Because it's more than one percent of that. Okay. And uh, and I mean, there's been meetings that we we have seen. I'm not saying it's happened every time, but but the potential is always there, because we see the standard of Jesus. But we have had meetings where in crowds much larger than this, every single person that had something physically on the outside that you could see or touch. I'm not talking about something that you need a you know a scan or something on the inside, but something that was on the outside you could see or touch, feel. Every single one of those people walked out healed. Now, I'm not exaggerating. Every single one. I mean, from ears, eyes, joints, backs, all that type of stuff. And, and what we've been pushing is the, the reason we're teaching it from this perspective. You know, there, there's lots of ways up to the, to the top of the mountain. You know, so you can get up there lots of ways. But there's some ways that are a whole lot harder than, than others. And I'm all, all about, let, let's get there the easiest way. And for me, in my opinion, my perspective, going at it from our union with Christ is the easiest way because it gets your focus off of you, your works, your confession, your giving, all that type of stuff, and, and simply gets our eyes back on Jesus. And when you get your eyes back on Jesus, you step back into the grace of God, and it's from the grace of God that things begin to flow very naturally and very normally. And so that's why I, I love just teaching it from this standpoint. Um, you know, let me give you another story. That, that was a great story. And I love that story because, again, it wasn't even here. So nobody can go, man, look how anointed Chad is. We don't want that. I mean, thank God for, for the ministry gifts and the anointings and graces that God has put on people to help. But remember, what's the purpose of the ministry gifts? 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So in other words, it never was supposed to be that you met somebody, you had to bring them to church to get healed. It was supposed to be you get them healed, you get them delivered, you get them set free, and then bring them to church to get built up. It's about the everyday believer doing the works of Jesus. In John 14, 12, when Jesus said, whoever believes in me, he did not say the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the bishop of the run with Jesus, fullness of the gospel, you know, Baptist church, whatever. He said the believer will do the same works and even greater works, the believer. That means the only qualification, the only title you need is believer. It doesn't matter how many initials you have after your last name, how many titles you have before your first name. The only qualification is, believer, have you received Jesus as your Savior? If you've done that, that qualifies you for the miraculous. And it doesn't matter if you're 60. It doesn't matter if you're 7, 10, 11, whatever. I found out years ago it actually, it'll actually work in blue jeans. Yeah. When, I was, when I was coming up, just got out of Bible school and... And Lacey and I, we started our first church in College Station, Texas. Gig them. Thank God nobody could kick a field goal last night. <laughs> and we beat Arkansas. And, uh, but, but, but when we first started our, our, our first church, I was 28 years old. Lacey was 22. I mean, green as green could be. I'd never done anything except I was the drummer in our church. And... Uh, and I love playing the drum. I, I, I played drum. I grew up in a, in a predominantly black church. Played played the drums in that church and played the drums for the the gospel choir at Texas A and M. Man, I love it. I was the lone white dude. I felt at home. I walk into places like this and it makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I know, Pastor, we walked came up last night. He said, "You know, we go we go to an all black church." I said, wait, what? He said, you know, it's all black on the other. <laughs> but but I, I'm, for me, I'm kind of like a Neapolitan sandwich. I'm, I'm white. I'm white looking on the outside. I've got a Spanish last name, but I feel chocolate on the inside. <laughs> just, just because of, of the environment that I grew up in. And, um, but I'm kind of like a church mutt. But <laughs> I really am, yeah, the, the way I grew up. But you know what? When I was when I was coming up, that that it was this thought, this idea that you had to be dressed up for the anointing to flow. So I mean, I was you know my when when I was coming up, you know, I'm looking at T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar, and you know, and so I've got my alligator shoes and my cufflinks and three-piece suit and silk tie, and, and I mean, I was bling bling, you know, and I thought that's that's how the anointing operates. But funny, you didn't need all that when you're ministering to the kids or on the streets or in the jail. All that type of stuff. So I had to kind of work through some of those things. But I began to find out, you just got to be a believer. And that's it. That's it. And so that, that is our focus. That's what we're pushing. That's what we're teaching people. Because I truly believe this last great move of God, this, this great awakening. And I, and I actually believe we're all, we've already kind of stepped into it. I don't think we're waiting on it. I think we've already stepped into it. But... But this is not going to be about the person behind the pulpit. And I don't even think it's about the, the church building itself. I believe that this one is going to be about the church out there. Yes. And it's going to be about the believer actually stepping up to who they are in Christ, knowing who they are and what they have. So instead of being beggars like we've been for centuries, we'll actually, in those last days, these last days, be releasers. 
releasers instead of beggars. And so that's what we're trying to do is awaken the believer to who you are. So you can manifest who you are and release who you are. So let me, let me tell you uh, this story. This happened. Um, this was a, it was a, a really small church in Warner, Oklahoma. Warner, Oklahoma is probably about 45 minutes southeast of Tulsa. Little country, uh, kind of cowboy town. And uh, I, think, I think like 1,200 people in the town. And there was like, a, I don't know, 100 people in the, in the church service. And we did like three services. And there was a, um, there was a woman. Actually, let me start off with this. These are three really significant ones that happened. There was a woman who saw us on Sidroth, and she flew from California with her seven-year-old daughter. Her seven-year-old daughter had been dealing with, with very severe chronic pain. Uh, the doctors didn't know what was wrong, and so uh, they started doing these experimental drugs on her to try to figure out what was going on. She basically was a little guinea pig for them. And so they started giving her the, this cancer medication for the pain. And the mother said that the cancer medication, it was so severe on her stomach that she had to take another pill first to coat the lining of her stomach just so she could handle the cancer medication. And she's seven. She's in so much pain, she can't run, she can't play, she can't jump, and she, she, she just, she can't, she can't do life as a kid. And so she saw us on, on when we were on Cedar Roth a, a year ago, and she told her husband, she said, I really feel like we need to fly out to, to Oklahoma and go to these meetings. So they fly out. Now, this is on Sunday night. I don't know the backstory or anything. I'm just told there's a woman that came from California with her daughter. And so during the middle of service, uh, my wife, Lacey, she was with me. We walked over to him, laid hands on her, uh, ministered to her, and went on to, to different people. Well, on Monday, the little girl and the, the mother, they show back up on the Monday night service. And the mother comes up. She said, hey, I just want to share what happened last night. She said, we came from California. And she said, this medication that the doctor had her on, she had to take it every two to three hours just to, to deal with the pain. And she'd been taking this for, for quite a while, I think for about two years, if I remember right, just to deal with the pain. And she said, when we, when we got off the plane, it was time for her to take the medication. Now get this, this girl's seven, okay? I want you to listen to what the seven-year-old said. We've got, this, we've got this on video, the mother sharing this. She said, it was time to give her the medication. And she said, my seven-year-old, she put her hand up in my face. And she said, no, mommy, I don't want the medication. Jesus is going to heal me tonight. And I want to feel it when it happens. She's seven years old. Seven. I mean, mom's telling me that. I'm like, now, now that right there, that's faith, boys. Seven years old. She said, Jesus is going to heal me tonight. And I want to feel it. What it happened. And she said she woke up this morning and she said she was in she was in no pain. She had had the medication almost twenty-four hours. She said she wanted to go to the hotel swimming pool and swim. Hadn't swam in a long time. She was playing and running, dancing. She was at church that night, all smiles. Completely healed. In that same service, that same night, there was a twelve-year-old girl that was going blind. Same service. Twelve years old, she was going blind. Her parents did not go to that church. But she found out about the meetings. She had some friends that went there. So the 12-year-old drug her parents to the church service. I love the kids. I mean, in many ways, I'd much rather be with the kids than, than be out with the adults because the kids are believers. And the kids won't write you letters afterward telling you how you're wrong, but they can't produce results either. But the 12-year-old 
the 12-year-old is in the service, and so they, they told us what was going on. So we went over, laid our hands on her, ministered to her, and, and went on to other people. Well, the pastor called me, or the pastor's wife called me two weeks later, and she was just ecstatic. She said, Chad, I've got to tell you. She said, remember the little girl that was going blind? And I said, yeah. She said, well, she had a pre-op appointment a few days after the meetings. And the doctors were going to do an experimental surgery because they basically said she was going to lose her sight in about a year. She was already losing it pretty progressively. And so they were going to melt her corneas and insert an artificial lens to try to preserve a little bit of sight. No guarantees it was going to work. They were just going to try it out because she was kind of in a lose-lose situation anyway. So they go to the pre-op appointment. I think it was about two or three days later. And so the, the doctor now, the doctor is an atheist. And, and this is according to the dad. The dad was there with the daughter. And the doctor is an atheist. And he's looking into her eyes. And he said, sir, I'm not sure how to explain this. But from what I can see, her retinas and her corneas are healing themselves. <laughs> and the dad said, no. He said, Jesus, Jesus has healed her. And, and, and he said, let me tell you what happened. So he tells the doctor, this atheist doctor, about the church service and what had happened. And the atheist doctor said, well, sir, he said, look, he said, I don't know anything about this Jesus stuff, healing miracles. He said, I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. And he said, they're healing themselves. She's, she's going to be just fine. So she's not going to lose her sight. She's actually gaining it all back. In that same service, okay, little, little cowboy country town, 1,200 people. 100 people in the service. In that same service, there was a woman that was there. I didn't even know she was there. And she was there, and she was around 25 years old, pregnant with her first child. And her, her, her abdomen was filled with fibroid tumors. Uh, her uterus was surrounded with fibroid tumors. Now, she wanted to be able to have a natural childbirth. And the doctors had told her, there's just absolutely no way. You're already a high-risk pregnancy because of this. The only way you're going to be able to have, uh, birth this child is through C-section. But she didn't want to do that. Now, she told the pastor, she said, I did not, uh, I did, she didn't raise her hand. She said, I didn't tell anybody what was going on. She said, I just came with expectation that while Chad was teaching, I was going to get healed. Man. She said that was her expectation. So I didn't even know she was there. Didn't lay hands on her. We didn't pray for her. Didn't throw oil on her. Didn't shandai. Didn't anything. <laughs> and so she goes to her, her appointment, her monthly checkup that she's going to. And the, uh, the technician comes out, they do some scans, and they're looking. And the technician goes, uh, this is a little odd, a little different here, because I'm not seeing those tumors on the scans. I'm going to go get my supervisor. So she goes and gets the supervisor. supervisor comes in, and she's looking at it. And she said, well, yeah, that's odd, because she's looking at you know, the reports from all the prior months. I believe at this point she was about six or seven months pregnant. And she said, let me go get the doctor. So the doctor comes in. And the doctor's looking at it, and she goes, I don't really know what happened, but all those tumors are gone. Wow. So she said, if you want to have a natural childbirth, well, then just go ahead and plan for it. So, and that one service, and there was lots of other stuff that happened, but I mean, those are really significant to me. You have a seven-year-old that I don't want the medication. And she's in extreme pain. She said, I don't want the medication. Jesus is going to heal me. And I want to feel it when I have. You have a 12-year-old who drug her parents to church. She's going blind. And then you have another woman who says, I don't even need anybody to pray for me. I just need to be there. 
Pretty powerful stuff. So I'll just tell you those, and we, we can tell you some more as well, but I'll just tell you those just to, what's possible? What's possible? What's possible? I mean, we say that all things are possible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. But do we really believe that? What's possible? You know, Jesus is the one that put us on his level. He said, nothing is impossible with God, and all things are possible for him who believes. That puts you up on his level. So we talked some things last night about our union. So I want to go a little bit further this morning. Uh, so we, we took you in the, in the first grade last night. We're going to go to like middle school this morning. We're going to be a little teachy this morning. But I want you, I want your perspective to be a little changed. I want your brain to go tilt this morning. And I want you to see things from, from a different perspective. Actually, I want you to see it from heaven's perspective. I want you to see healing and sickness and disease from heaven's perspective instead of seeing it from the curse perspective. Because even though we go to church and even though a lot of us have been in church and we've been hearing great teaching for, for years and years and years, we still have very much a cursed perspective of sickness and disease and, and yeah. healing. And I want you to see it from the proper perspective. Because once you see it from the proper perspective, then all of a sudden it's like ding, ding, ding. Oh my God, how have we not seen it like that before? And it's right here in our Bible. And it comes from the words of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, you have your iPad, phone, whatever you got it on. Uh, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 5, and I uh, <clears throat> want to look at a, a familiar story for a lot of you, and it's about this guy who was brought to Jesus, and he was paralyzed. Oh, let me start my little timer. I forgot, so that just gave me a few minutes. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5, this paralyzed man, this paralyzed guy, he's got these four crazy friends They hear about this meeting that's taking place. And they go to this house where there, there's a lot of people crammed in there. And in, uh, we'll start for the second time. Luke chapter 5, verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, think about this, guys. That's a very interesting thing to say to someone who needs healing. Can you imagine going to a, a, a healing service, a healing conference, seminar, and you're in need of healing, and the preacher walks up to you, and sees that obviously you're in need and looks at you and says, I just want to let you know you're forgiven. Yeah, right. If that was most modern Christians, they'd get ticked off. I don't want you meddling in my business. Yeah. I remember when I was 28, we started this church in College Station, Texas. And uh, our, our, first, our first month in, uh, we had a lady that was completely blind. I mean completely blind. And she got healed, walked out of there seeing. And the next month, we had a little boy that had Hodgkin's. Uh, disease. He had three tumors on top of his head and they dissolved during the service. And two days later, they confirmed all the cancer was gone. We started having all these miracles happen. And so people start showing up to come and get healed. Well, I was 28. I mean, green as green can be. I'm a little bit further along, but not much further along. At 45, but at 28, this one woman comes. And I'll never forget this. She's standing over here. She came up. And she had a lot of pain and, and issues going on in her, in her body, her shoulders and back. And I went to lay hands on her. And when I put my hand on her, I, I stopped and I said, ma'am, I said, I could be wrong. But I said, it just seems like, this just kind of came up, just seems like there's some, there's some real serious issues going on between you and a family member. There's some bitterness and stuff. And I said, what's that all about? She said, well... She said, me and my mother, we got into an argument 20 years ago, and I haven't talked to her since. And, uh, 
And I looked there and I said, well, man, that might be something you need to deal with. I'll never forget as long as I live. She looked at me and she said, look, I don't need you to preach to me. Just lay your hands on me and heal me. <laughs> and uh, back then I was, a lot, I was a lot nicer than I am now. And so I, I, I gave her a pity prayer. I knew nothing was going to happen. But nowadays I would just walk away. But so, so you know, but, but a lot of people are like that. But here's this guy and Jesus looks at him and says, you're forgiven. That's an interesting thing to say to a paralyzed man. You're forgiven. But we have to realize and understand that, that in the Jewish culture under that old covenant, they actually knew that as long as I do everything that I'm supposed to do and I walk according to the will of God, nothing can touch me. Now that's under the old covenant. If, if, if Christians today can, can at least figure that part out. And we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. But they actually believe, because this was their covenant with God, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, nothing can touch me. I want you to hold on to that. Because we've got something even better than that. But as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, nothing can touch me. This is why when you see the, the disciples, they, they come across the man that was born blind. The first question they asked Jesus was this. Who sinned? Who sinned? Somebody had to, for sickness and disease to be able to touch them, somebody had to sin. Was it him or his parents? So what? This was their understanding. This was their covenant. Even in Psalm 91 that we quoted all during COVID. A thousand fall at one side, ten thousand at another, but shall not come near you. No evil, no plague, no calamity come near this tent. But what was it based on? As long as you dwell here. As long as you stay here, you do what you're supposed to do, nothing can touch you. And Jesus is dealing with this. He tells the man, you're forgiven. But what happens? Nothing happens. And then the Pharisees, the religious people, they get all upset. They get all mad. And they're reasoning amongst themselves, who does this guy think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus picks up on their thoughts. And he says this in response. In verse 22, he said, why are you reasoning in your hearts for which one is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or rise up, take up your bed and walk? I want you to notice what Jesus said. Which one's easier? He said, which one's easier to be forgiven or to be healed? This is out of the mouth of Jesus. He said, which one's easier? And he's talking to old covenant people. He said, which one's easier to be forgiven or to be healed? If you were to take like an old time, you know, weighted scale. And you were to put forgiveness on one side and put healing on the other, they're going to balance each other out. In other words, Jesus is saying they're the same. He's saying there's one of them is not harder than the other. Now, it, now, now, now in modern Christianity, uh, we, we think forgiveness is really, really easy and healing is really, really hard. Why do we think that? Because we are carnal, carnal, carnal. We are very much more body conscious than we are spirit conscious. Or you can put it like this. We're more conscious of what we're in than who we are. We're more conscious of what we're in than who we are. I'm a spirit. I'm not a body. I'm a spirit. Jesus said which one's easier, which one's harder than the same. Now, I can prove this to you that we, we, may, we may know the right things to say and the right things to do and have, have our confession sheet. But when, when push comes to, 
Come on. I, I know where we're at, and you know where most of us are at, too. Because when's the last time you saw someone get on social media and say, hey, I need everybody praying. I need your prayer groups praying. We need to start a prayer chain. I need everybody praying because Aunt Sally sinned really bad. I mean, I mean, she messed up royally, and we, and we need everybody to be praying that God would forgive Aunt Sally. Yeah. When's the last time you did that or saw somebody do that? You've never seen that. Why? Because we think forgiveness is easy. I think that forgiveness is such a small deal, me and God can handle it by ourselves. But when it comes to the issue of healing, when's the last time, I know you've never done it, but when's the last time you saw someone get on Facebook and say, I need everybody praying, get your, get your prayer groups praying, your church. We need everybody praying. We need a prayer chain going. Everybody pray. Because Aunt Sally was diagnosed with cancer. And we need everybody to be praying that God would heal Aunt Sally. We need everybody praying. We need everybody praying. So in other words... My righteousness with God, my position with God is strong enough to get forgiven, but it's not strong enough to get healed. So I need to get as many people praying to pester the fire out of God and beg him enough to twist his arm, to get him to get off his butt and actually love somebody and heal somebody. But when it comes to this forgiveness thing, we can handle that on our own. In other words, I don't think my righteousness is good enough for healing, but it's good enough for forgiveness. But, but it shows you how kind of warped and twisted things are, because in reality, if one should be harder, it should be the forgiveness thing. And if there should be one that was more important than the other, it should be the forgiveness thing. Because the forgiveness thing, the sin thing, is the thing that affects my relationship, my fellowship with God. It affects my destiny, my eternity. And this sickness thing just affects my temporary existence. If there was going to be one that was more difficult or hard, it seems like it would be that sin thing. Yeah. It seems like it would take lots of people begging God to forgive me of my mistakes than just a little virus trying to attack me. But, but look at this. I mean, we sing, he's a good, good father, but we need everybody to, to beg and plead and, and pester and knock, knock, knock and bang, bang, bang. You know, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's doors and see if he'll do it. But Jesus said, which one's easier? Which one's easier to say? You're forgiven or you're healed. Jesus is showing us, number one, that one is not harder than the other. He's showing us, number two, one is not bigger than the other. What he's showing you is this. How you do forgiveness is how you do healing. Think about that statement. How you do one is how you do the other. If you know how to get forgiven, you automatically know how to get healed. Think about it. Think about that. How you do one is how you do the other. Jesus said they're the same. See, you'll find this wonderful relationship, this wonderful connection between forgiveness and healing all throughout the Bible. You see it in what, what many of us know as, as redemption scriptures, you know, Isaiah 53. You see it, Psalm 103, 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives you of your sins and heals you of your... You, you'll see that they're best buddies. Best buddies. Where you find one, you'll find the other. Where you find one, you find the other. Jesus shows us that, 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 that one's not harder than the other. One's not bigger than the other. And he's also showing us this, 
that, that when you get forgiven, you actually already get healed too. Because what was he telling the, the man that was sick, paralyzed, disease? You're forgiven. He said, which one's harder? And then he goes on to say, but so that you would know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive. I say to you, arise, take up your bed and walk. What he was showing them is that when you get forgiven, when the sin problem is taken care of, the sickness problem is taken care of too. And this is why, when you get over to 1 Peter 2.24, this is why this scripture, it's been quoted, it's been confessed, and yet it has caused frustration throughout the body of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 2.24, and I want you to look at it in light of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5. Now, if you ask most Christians, what does 1 Peter 2.24 say? They would say, well, it says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Well, you're partially correct. But like we, we pointed out last night, 1 Peter 2.24 really is not a healing scripture, although it does encompass that. It's really about righteousness. It's about your position in Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself, talking about Jesus, he bore our sins in his own body on three. So he dealt with a sin problem, right? He dealt with a sin problem. That we having done what? We died sin. This is a very important phrase. Underline it, highlight it, exclamation point, asterisk. You know, we were singing about the very first song this morning. We having died to sin, we get all excited when we talk about God forgiving us of our sins, but we really don't have a clue as to what that really entails. Right. We having died to sin so we could live for righteousness. So we see right here, because of what Jesus did, he dealt with the sin problem. And because he dealt with the sin problem, you could say, because he dealt with the source, then you get to enjoy the byproducts. What's one of the byproducts? By whose stripes you were healed. Now this is where we get frustrated. We get tired. We get mad. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed. Now how come I'm not seeing it? I believe that by the stripes. Or we say this one. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed. Now I just need to receive it. Well why do you need to receive something that was already done? See it's like this. We, we've, got this we've got this idea in the church. That, that Jesus paid the price for my healing. He provided it. But it's up in heaven. Now i got to get it. And i got to figure out what button to push, what lever to, to, to pull, what knob to turn to get him to release it out of heaven so I can have it. But notice he's talking about righteousness. And remember we pointed out last night, righteousness, yes, it is a gift by the grace of God. But it's not just something I walk around and hold as a possession. It's who I am. Righteousness is who I am. That means it doesn't matter, and this is not a license just to sin and do whatever you want, but it doesn't change who I am. If I make a mistake, it doesn't change who I am. If I mess up, it doesn't change who I am. You know, my, my son Jake, he turns 14 next week, got a mustache, chops, got a little, got a little <laughs> scruff going here. And, uh, you know, already my size. And, but, I mean, it doesn't matter what he does in my eyes. It will never change the way that I see him. And how I feel about him. It will never change his position with me. As he's maturing and as he's growing. It doesn't change his position with me. He made you the righteousness of God. And because he made you right. Because he made you forgiven. Then the result of that is what? Healing. So if you've already been forgiven. Then you've already been healed. Now, this is what Jesus is telling under the Old Covenant. 
to the paralyzed man who, who has a lesser covenant with you than you, yeah. based on lesser promises than what you have. Yeah. A covenant that's based on their works. And we have a covenant that's based on Jesus' works. Now I want you to think about this. This is where it starts to make a little bit more sense. Under the old covenant, again, their covenant was, as long as I do everything I'm supposed to do, healing is mine. Nothing can touch me. Well, but notice, it was based on what they did. Under the new covenant, Hebrews tells us, we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. It's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. That means, that means my actions, that means my works, has no effect on my healing. In other words, what I do can't get me what he already got me. Now, now, now we start to have a problem with it, but again, let, let's bring it back to the forgiveness thing. Nothing I could do could bring about forgiveness. Why do we change the rules when it comes to healing? If nothing I could do could get me the source, then why all of a sudden does it change to get the byproducts? Why is that? What, what, why is it? But, but see, this is what even Paul was doing to the Corinthians. He said, why did you start out in the spirit and now you're back over here in the works? Yeah. Yeah. See, what we've done is, and this is why it's so important to understand the whole union pieces. What, what we've done is we've looked at forgiveness of sins, salvation, the beginning stages of it, if you want to say. We see ourselves as one with him for forgiveness. But then after forgiveness, we see ourselves as separated from him trying to get all the stuff. But notice Jesus said, he shows us the connection, the relationship between the two. Now, I am not saying, do not walk away from here saying that Chad said, because someone is sick, it's because they sinned. I'm not saying that. Now, certainly, uh, if you continue down a path and doing some stuff, you can open up some doors for, for Satan to come in and, and do some stuff. But I'm not saying that someone is sick just because they sinned. I'm talking about the sin of Adam, the curse. That came into this world. This is what Jesus did. He took care of the sin problem. He took, you could say, He took care of the source. And if the source was taken care of, that means the byproducts were taken care of. In other words, you could say it like this that, that when you got born again, before you were born again, you were plugged into the curse. And Jesus came and He unplugged you and He plugged you into life. So that the flow that was coming from the source is no longer there. Right. And the only way it could be there is if you unplug yourself and you plug back in. Because you don't think, you don't think you're dead to it. Notice 1 Peter 2.24. See, we focus on the byproduct, the healing piece. But notice he said, having died to sin. See, if you died to the source, then the byproducts can't flow. In other words, he's saying this. The curse, sin, is the root. <clears throat> and sickness and disease are the fruits that grow from the root. If the root was cut off, then the fruits can't grow. <clears throat> and what did Jesus do? He took you out of that root. He cut it off. And then he engrafted you into another root. A root of righteousness. So that because now you're engrafted into that root, a new fruit grows. Remember John 15, 5? I'm abiding you with the branches. You abide in me, I abide in you, and you will produce fruit. Yeah. Yeah. See, it has nothing to do with your actions. 
has everything to do with who are you connected to. Has everything to do with your connection. Your connection. Your position. The only job that he, he gives us is you abide. You dwell. That's the only job. You do that, fruit, fruit grows. Fruit grows. Fruit grows. But your consciousness and your awareness, and you're going to see a little bit more of this. So you, so you see this story of the paralyzed man. Remember, how you do one, how you do the other. If you're forgiven, you're healed. Jesus says it. Peter's telling us over here this very familiar scripture. You having died to sin so you can live for righteousness. You can live for who you are. By whose stripes you were healed. Past tense, already done and already given. In other words, you have to understand that healing is not just a possession. It's who you are. It's a part of who you are. If righteousness is who I am, and I am, I am the righteousness of God because of who I am in Christ. If righteousness is who I am, and healing is a byproduct of who I am, that means I already have it. Now, look at this over in Romans chapter 6. We're going to spend a little time in Romans this morning. How are we doing on time? All right. Romans chapter 6. Now, remember this phrase in 1 Peter 2, 24. You having died to sin, right? Yeah. Remember? You died to it. You died to it. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with Christ through baptism to death. Now, notice this phrase, underline it. Just as Christ. That means in the very same way, very same way, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. He's not talking about in the future. He's not talking about when you go to heaven. He's in the very same way Jesus was raised up and is living a new life. You are to live a new life right now. What type of new life am I to live right now? Just as. Very same way. We alluded to it last night. The very same life Jesus experiences now is the same life you and I are to experience right now. Amen. The only difference between you and Jesus right now is he has his immortal body. You have your mortal body. That's it. Now, we have a problem with that because, like, well, how is that possible? Because you still see yourself as a body. We are spirits made in his image and in his likeness. We are, 1 Corinthians six 17, we're one spirit with the Lord. 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. He's not talking about in the future. He's talking about right now. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk in a new type, a new way of life. And he's not talking about higher standards and character and morals. Yes, those things should change. But there's a whole lot more to, to Christianity than just being a better person. Because if we're honest, I don't know about you, I know some people that are sinners but live a holier life than most of the Christians I know. That are of other religions and they have a higher standard of life than some of the Christians do. It's not just about being a better person. Look at what he goes on to say. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin would be done away with, that we would no longer be a slave of what? Sin. So he's telling you right here that sin can now no longer tell you what to do. Right? Uh, addictions can no longer tell you what to do. I mean, all of a sudden now because you're born again, you're dead to sin. That means uh, you, you can't sit there and say, well, I beat on my wife because I have an anger problem. I can't control it. I used to work in the prison system in Texas. And uh, I was a counselor there. And it always amazed me. I, I sat on the board with the, with the 
this was one particular lady and then uh, the warden. And we would see the guys come in. We would assign them their jobs and, and assignments and all this type of stuff. And so I would also see the reason these guys were in there for, for, for different issues. And, uh, and so it always amazed me, these guys that were in there for assault. And you talk to them and some of them had been there. They had assaulted their wife and, and you know, other people that were smaller than them. And, and they had anger issues, temper problems. But it always amazed me that when some six foot four, 255 pound you know, linebacker comes up, starts bullying and picking on them, all of a sudden they found it in their, in, in their wheelhouse to be able to walk away. Hey, but, hey man, 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 I, I wasn't trying to cause any problems, you know. But they couldn't do that to the wife because, you know, I can't control my anger. Sin can't tell us what to do anymore. Right? Because why? We're dead to it. Right? You'll, you'll never go to a cemetery and find a dead person struggling with pornography and struggling with addictions and, and struggling to get free of cancer. and Why? They're dead to it. The thing, now listen to this, it's important. The thing that actually connected them to sin is no longer there. It's not about the body. Let me put it to you this way. Is sin a spiritual thing or a physical thing? It's really a spiritual thing that, a, that manifests in the physical. But the thing that connected them to the sin is no longer there. Uh, and and let's, let's, let's connect this. The thing that connected them to the sickness and disease is no... Now, the body's there, but they aren't. See, when the spirit leaves, sickness and disease can't grow anymore. There's no more life. The, the connection to it is now gone. So then you've got to ask yourself the question. This is more like a seventh grade question. <laughs> is sickness and disease a physical thing or a spiritual thing? It's a spiritual thing. How you do one is how you do the other. Sickness and disease is a spiritual thing. But this is why we struggle with 1 Peter 2.24. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. But, you know. But see, we're not looking to the source. It's a spiritual thing. And this is why Jesus said, if you're forgiven, you're also healed. Why? Because when I took care of the root, I also took care of the fruits. When I took care of the source, I also took care of the byproducts. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And he said, you're dead to sin. Now, if you're dead to the root, you're also dead to the, you're dead to the fruits. Now let, let's let that sink in. If I'm dead to sin, I'm also dead to cancer. I'm dead to leukemia. I'm dead to COVID-72. I'm dead to monkey pox, rhino pox, chicken pox, all the other pox things. You know, it was interesting that here in America, they were talking about monkey pox all coming from Africa and stuff. And it was just spreading all over the place. And I was over in Kenya back in May, and I was talking to them about it, and they were asking me, what's monkey pox? Honest <laughs> <laughs> to God. I go there every year, and I, I was there in May, and we were talking about COVID and stuff. And I said, well, how's things going with the monkey pox? They said, what's that? And I said, well, you know, the news in America saying it's all over the place. I talked to lots of people. They didn't even know what it was. Man, we're being played again. But he said, you're dead to it. See, see, a lot of you, you need to get a little mafia boss like with this stuff. You're dead to me.
Arthritis, you're dead to me. Heart disease, you're dead to me. Why? Because I was disconnected from the thing that allowed it to flow into my life. That person, that dead person that was connected to it where it flowed unhindered, that person's no longer alive. I died to that. See, friends, when Jesus died to it, whatever Jesus died to, I died to too. And whatever Jesus was made alive unto, I was made alive unto. Remember, sin is the root. Sickness and disease is a fruit. Addictions is a, is a fruit. Depression is a Let me tell you something. This whole thing about depression and mental, yeah. mental issues going on right now, it is being fundament, fundamentally accepted in the church, and that is wrong. It's wrong. It is, depression is not just a normal thing. Now, I mean, I, I, I had dealt with it in the past. I know family members that's dealt with it, and I get it. It is a real thing, and I'm not demeaning it. But what I'm saying is this. Depression is ultimately the result of you not maintaining your thought life. I know people don't like it. We'd rather pop a pill. But it's ultimately the result of me not casting down those thoughts and imaginations. Now, you continue to, to not do that. And yes, things can begin to physically change in your body. Things can be changed. But it ultimately starts from you not using your authority and not maintaining your thought life. But that's also where sickness and disease comes into play with the Christian. It ultimately, and we might get into it tonight, and I know it's a touchy thing, but I mean, we've got to deal with it. But it ultimately comes down from me not maintaining my thought life. Look at what Paul goes to saying. This is not just me making this up. Okay, so don't blame me. This ain't me. It's, it's, it's right here in your Bible. For he who has died has been freed from all right, so right here, you, you're not taking away, you're not adding to by, by substituting the word sin with sickness. You can substitute the fruit in there for the root. So you could actually read it like this, that we would no longer be a slave of sickness. For he who has died has been freed from sickness. He who has died has been freed from disease. Whatever the doctor has diagnosed you with, you can put it in right there and substitute it. I've been freed from heart disease. I have been freed from diabetes. I have been freed from rheumatoid arthritis. I have been freed from glaucoma. I've been free. I'm no longer a slave to it. In other words, those diseases can't tell me what to do anymore. Before I got born again, yes, when flu season came around, I just get it. When, sp when spring comes and allergy season comes around, well, that's just a normal part of living. But not when I got born again. Because when I got born again, I was supposed to be living a new type of life. See, this is why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But see, in most churches, we read that and we talk about our behavior. Don't act like the sinner. Stop sinning. Stop, stop drinking, smoking, cussing, sleeping around, doing all these type of things because, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to change the way you think. And it's much more, that's baby stuff. The sin stuff, that's baby stuff. If you're still dealing with that after 25 years, you need to grow up. Yes. That's not a mean thing. You just haven't figured out who you are. Because the more you begin to understand who you are and whose you are, you don't want to do that stuff anymore. You can start to become so conscious of him and who he is on the inside of you. See, that's why when you go to places and they're always just preaching sin, 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 you know what they're doing? They're making really good sinners. What you need to do is preach on righteousness. 
And when you get the focus off of sin and you get it focused on him, you start to become who you look like and who you are aware of. He said, you died to these things. If you died to the root, you died to the fruit. You have to see yourself as dead to it. But this is why Christians are struggling and struggling because we still think we're alive to it. I still think I'm alive to sickness and disease. Well, but see, but that's the way a cursed person thinks. That's the way a sinner thinks. But see, that's the way most of the church thinks. We come to church, we sing our songs, we have our confessions, we do all these things, and, and, and we're trying to fight from the place of being on defense, trying to get the ball. But Jesus already gave you the ball. You know, it's a whole... I love playing defense going up. I love to hit people. Anybody ever seen Friday Night Lights? I mean, I love to hit somebody so hard, they just blew snot bubbles. I love it. But you know, if you're going to win the game, you have to have the ball. And a lot of Christians still see themselves on the opposite side of the line trying to get the ball. And trying to get the ball is a whole lot harder than holding on to it. Jesus already got you the ball. But see, we see ourselves as the sick person trying to get healed. Instead of seeing ourselves as the healed person just maintaining our health. How can I be more than a conqueror in Christ and yet I'm trying to get it? How can I have the victory in Christ but I'm trying to get it? Either what Peter says is a truth or a lie. By the stripes of Jesus you were healed. Or you could say, by the stripes of Jesus he made you dead to it. This is what Paul's telling you right here. I mean, he's giving you a, a wonderful little mini-sermon, verses 1 through 10, about redemption. And what really happened for you. That when I talk about being forgiven of sin, I've got to understand that when I was forgiven of my sin, there's a whole lot of other things that happened as a result of that. We have to get this piece figured out. Look at what he says. For he who has died has been freed from it. If we died with Christ, we also believe that we will also live with him. So right here he says, now we're, he, he gets some future stuff. We're going to live with it. But then he brings it back to, to present tense. Knowing that Christ, verse 9, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Now notice this. The life that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, you also. Come on, connect this with verse 4. The same new life that Jesus lives. You and I are to live a, a, the same new life. What type of life? A life that is alive unto God. That shows me right there. Not only can I live a life that's free of sickness and disease just like Jesus. I can also have the very same fellowship with Jesus. Or the very same fellowship with God on the earth that Jesus has in heaven. Let me, let me break it down for you even more. If Jesus can't get sick, I shouldn't either. Wow. Let me go even a little step further. <laughs> if Jesus can't get sick in heaven, I shouldn't get sick on the earth. Well, that, 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 that doesn't seem possible. Because you still see yourself as a body. Sickness and disease it is not a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Let me tell you this one story. And, and, and don't judge me on it. Uh, but uh, so, so I go to Kenya every year and there's a, there's a reason I'm telling you this I go to, I go to Kenya every year to speak at this conference in May but one of my very good friends uh, he, he runs uh, some Bible schools one of the 11 Bible schools in Kenya and uh, you know over in Kenya I mean all through Africa but especially in Kenya witchcraft uh, is, is very very strong it's a big deal and the, the governmental people they'll actually go to a witch doctor 
before they'll go to a medical doctor for, 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 for healing and stuff in their body. The reason is these witch doctors actually produce results. Now, understand, what they're operating in, it is a very real power. Now, it's a lesser power than God. It's a counterfeit power, but it is a real power. And so I told my buddy, I told my buddy two years ago, I said, look, uh, so whenever you got some free time, I want to come over there. I I'm not coming to preach. I don't want to do any of that. I want to come and I, I want to go and, and I want to interview some of these current and former witch doctors. From this standpoint, I want to see what they're doing. I want to see what they're accessing. Because from this standpoint, I understand that what they're doing is counterfeit. But they're operating in a greater power than all the Christians that I know. And so I want to see what they're doing. Because whatever they're doing, it shows me at the very least what's possible for me. What's the problem? Because I couldn't find any, any Christians around me to inspire me as to what's possible. Now, I wasn't going to try to be a witch doctor. But I wanted to see what was going on. So he thought I was crazy at first. Like, like some people I told. But, uh, but, but after talking about it for a few months, he started to get it. And so we got things set up and I went over there. And I, and I met for about three or four days, interviewed different ones all across the country. And, and the reason I'm telling you this, I want to tell you this one particular story in light of sickness and disease. So I was interviewing this one guy. He was a very prominent witch doctor in Kenya for about 30 years. And, uh, and then he ended up getting born again. And now he's a bishop of nine churches. It was one, it was, it was one of the most powerful conversations we talked for three hours that, that I've ever had with an individual. Now, this guy was not an, an educated man, never been to Bible school, never been to America. I'm telling you, you would be able to t tell him way more scriptures than he knows. But he had operated in a very real power that they actually believe because I'm a spirit, I have access to the spirit world. That was their belief. Now, you've got to realize it doesn't matter if you're born again or not. You're all spirits. It doesn't matter what your religion is. You're still a spirit. And the same spirit world that the demons operate in is the same spirit world that the angels operate in. The only difference is that these people that are demon-possessed and operating in that, they only have access to the dark. Not to get Star Wars with it, but they only have access to the dark side. We have access to the light. And as I'm talking to this guy, we talked about all kinds of things, about confession and meditation, because and, that was a big deal for them. And it's actually a big deal in the Bible. You'll, you'll, you'll find everything that they were doing counterfeit to the things of God. And we're talking about sickness and disease. And I, and I asked him, I said, tell me, what could you do to a Christian as a witch doctor? What could you do to a Christian? And he said, well, he said, depending on if they knew who they were or not. Wow. Again, this is an uneducated man. I mean, we are out, we're out in the bush of, of Africa. We're, we're hours away from, from, from 10 million person Nairobi. You know, we're out there. I mean, we're on a dirt floor. They had a little concrete. You know, brick wall, little building that was maybe about, you know, 15 by 15. And we're sitting there. And, and he said, depending on who they, if they knew who they were. And I said, well, we'll explain that a little bit in regards to sickness and disease. And he said, well, he's the first thing. And again, he's telling me this from, from the, the witch doctor side, the demonic side. Okay. He said, the first thing you got to understand is this. All sickness and disease is of the devil. And I said, well, yeah, I believe that. That's scriptural. Yeah. And he said, well, number two, he's not, no, no, don't get upset. But this is what he said. He said, number two, he said, the devil can't make a Christian sick unless the Christian gives him the authority to do it. Wow. Wow. 
And he's telling me this from his operator on that side for 30 years. He said, number three, he said, the third thing is this. He said, disease is spiritual. And I said, now that right there, let's talk about that. Because I believe that. I see it in scripture. I said, but this is an area where most of the church in America doesn't see that. And he made this comment. And this is where I, I, I fell off the floor into the little dirt floor. He made this comment. He said, well, that's why we could just manipulate the disease. And I said, wait, buddy. Oh, hold on. You need to explain that one to me. We didn't manipulate the disease. He said, well, in reality, we couldn't heal anybody. But we would just change the disease. He said, because Satan isn't a healer. He, he's not a creator. So all he's doing is operating in what he has available to him. So in other words, it's like this. You don't create darkness. You just shut off the light. Satan isn't creating dark. He's not creating sickness and disease. It's just that's what happens when you take away light. That's what happens when you take away health. That's what's left over. He says he's not a creator. He's not a healer. He says so that's why we really we couldn't take away the disease. He said, but if someone came to us with cancer, he said we would just manipulate it. We'd change it to like diabetes. And he said they would walk away feeling better. And they'd go to the doctor. The doctor would confirm that the cancer is gone. But he said you never get anything free with the devil. There's always side effects. And I'll leave that one alone. He said there's always side effects. He said so they would be, be experiencing other symptoms as a result of these things a few weeks later. So they would come back to us because they thought they got healed. And he said we would just change the disease again. Just change the disease. I said... But what do you mean change it? How do you change it? He said, because it's spiritual. It's spiritual. And I mean, I walked away from, from, from that week of, of talking to these guys, especially this guy. I'm going back to, to my talk to him, interview him again by video uh, next year. But I mean, I walked away. My faith just so inspired. And one of my very good friends is the dean of a very, very well-known Bible school in America. And, and we, were, we were meeting for lunch one day, and he's one of the few that I told about this trip. Because I don't want people to think I just absolutely lost my mind. And, and I told him, I said, man, I saw more faith in those witch doctors than I've seen in this particular city with all these ministers. Because they actually believe they could do something. He said, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. Well, but this is what Paul's telling us here. If you've been freed from sin, which is a spiritual thing, you've also been freed from all the spiritual effects of it. Yeah. And Jesus, it says about Jesus... Jesus died in these things and he was alive in God. And then he says, likewise you also. He's connecting you and him. And notice what he says. Likewise you also do what? Look at it. Look at it in your own Bible. Once you see it. Likewise you also do what? Reckon or consider yourself to be what? Dead to sin and what? And alive unto God in Christ. In other words, verses 1 through 10, Paul gives you this wonderful mini-sermon on redemption. He tells you what Jesus did for you. He tells you that Jesus, He paid the price for your sin. He, that you're no longer a slave to sin. That you're dead to sin. If you're dead to, to sin, the root, the source, you're also dead to all of these things. He's saying this is the reality for you. But if you want to see it manifest in your life, you're going to have to do some considering that it's true. He said, this is what Jesus did for you. And, and what, what has happened for Jesus has happened for you. But you need to reckon it to be true. You need to consider it to be true. Yeah. Well, that word reckon there, 
It's an older word that's simply an accounting term. To reckon, like reckon your books. So you know, those of you that maybe run a business and use QuickBooks or something, you know, you'll go to the QuickBooks and, and you, you reckon your accounts. And while you're looking in QuickBooks, it tells you what's in your bank account without you even having to go to the physical location. You can look in your book. You can look at your checkbook. You can look in the book to tell you what you have. He said, reckon yourselves. It can also be translated as consider. Think about this. Why would I have to consider something to be true that's obvious to me? Why would I have to do some considering? You know, I, I've, I've never walked into the bathroom and looked in the mirror and had to do some considering that I was a, a man. Right. I mean, today things have changed a little bit, but you know. <laughs> I've never had to, let me put it this way, I've never had to do some considering that I'm a human being. Right. Because everything out here is telling me I'm human. Right. Now, Paul said you need, to, you need to consider yourself that you're an elephant. I've got some serious considering to do. Because when I look in the mirror, I don't have the big floppy ears. I don't have the long nose, you know. I don't eat peanuts all the time. I'm not scared of mites. Like, I've got some serious considering to do. Because everything out here is telling me I'm human. Remember, we're talking about a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. This is why it seems so hard to us. Because we view sickness and disease as a physical thing. And this is why we view uh, forgiveness as, a, as an easy thing. Because it's a spiritual thing. I don't need to see it. To deal with it. But when it comes to the physical thing. I view this as a physical thing. And thus it seems hard. Because this is what's more real to me. But Paul said you're going to have to do some considering. That what happened for Jesus also already happened for you. And this is why I've been, I've been really pushing this for a while. That healing is not just a promise. I've got a promise. Everything's going to be alright. It's not a promise anymore. It was a promise for the old covenant people. It's a reality for new covenant people. See, a promise means i got to get it. I don't have it. i got to get it. It's, it's available, but i got to get it. If it's a reality for me, I already have it. I already have it. He said, but you've got to do some considering that this is a reality. You've got to do some considering that this is true. You need to do some considering. So my question to you is, what have you been considering? Do you consider that you're alive to sickness? Do you consider that you're alive? Do you consider that when, when you get the cancer diagnosis, is the considering the fact that, well, you know, just my lot in life or you know, is, is the considering the fact that well God maybe he gave this to me to teach me something you know as you're considering well this is just a normal part of getting older things happen see you, you can see in our society we bought into it even in the church yes. you know we, we view somebody gets 40 years old and, and they get the creeks and we're like well you know it's just a part of getting older I was listening to somebody the other day. They, they said, I just turned 40. And I'm 45. And they said, I just turned 40. You know, my body's already getting stiff, you know. But, you know, it's just part of getting older. You know, you get 30, you get the creaks. And 40, you get the cracks. And 50, you get the oh me's. And 60, you get the oh my's. And 70, you can't even remember your name anymore. And 80, you don't even know where I'm at. You know, 90 and 100, and I can't even contain my bowels anymore. I'm just, just, just going downhill. But that's the way the world views life. But friends, think about it. Moses, under the old covenant, 
He was a sinner. He was a former murderer. Now don't raise your hand, but if you never killed anybody, in the statute of limitations. <laughs> but if you've never killed anybody, you're already better than, than Moses. And it says that Moses lived to be 120 years old. He fulfilled all of his days to the second. It says that Moses, on his 120th birthday, God woke him up and said, Moses, today is the day you die. To the scripture. Can you imagine on your birthday you get that phone call? <laughs> Good morning. Happy birthday. Today you die. But it says as 120, he climbed a mountain. And he had all of his eyesight. And he had all of his strength at 120. And those of us get 30 and 40 and have a hard time getting out of the car. <laughs> and we laugh about it and we think it's funny. Just getting older. You know, somebody has a 40th birthday or 50th birthday and they bring out the black balloons and over-the-hill banners and they have the, the stretchers and the cops and the walkers and wheelchairs and we think it's funny because it's a normal part of life. You're going down. It's all down here over here, baby. But guys, it's never downhill for the week. It's always going up. Because look, think about it. If, Re if Revelation, if Revelation is progressive, if I'm always growing in Revelation, which we should, and if Revelation is supposed to produce manifestation, which it's supposed to, that means the older I get, I should be getting healthier. But see, that's a different perspective. The sinner would look at you and say, you are an absolute too. Because the older you get, the, the more decrepit you're supposed to get. You know, I don't know if they do it here, but down in the, the way south. Way south, you know. But I grew up, I grew up south part of Texas, so, so Oklahoma and up, that's north. You know, a bunch of yanks. <laughs> you know, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, all down there. But down there they do this thing on the 100th day of school, in elementary school. 100th day of school, all the kids dress up like a 100-year-old. They do. They celebrate the 100th day of school. And all the kids, they'll dress up like a 100-year-old. And I mean, it is funny. But you pull up and you drop the kids off. And you see all these little kids. Six, seven, eight, nine years old. And you see them with, with, with all this white hair. And, and some of them, they'll be on walkers. And you see them walking like this. You know, like the dirty old man of the Carol Burnett show, you know. Walking into class like this. And they're like seven, eight years old. Because that's, the, that, that's what's normal for the world. But Paul said, don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed by changing the way that you think. Paul said, you're going to have to do some considering. You're going to have to do some, some changing of the way that you think. Do some considering that what you see out here is not who you are. It's not who you are. Because look at what he goes on to say. We'll hurry up. Look what he goes on to say. He said, verse 12, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> he said, do some considering that you're dead to these things and alive unto God. Therefore, do not let it rain in your body. Yeah. He wouldn't tell you to not let it rain if you didn't have control. Yeah. Therefore, don't let it rain in your body. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. For sickness and disease shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. You're under grace. If you are under grace, that means you're a master. 
Just for sake of time, I'll, I'll tell you these, and, and you can go and spend some time and look at it. But in Romans chapter 8, Verse 10 11, we've heard verse 11, it says, If the same Spirit raised Christ from the dead lives in you, giving life to your mortal body. But in the prior verse, he says, Your spirit is alive. And that you are the righteousness of God. And because you are righteous, because you are alive unto God, the result of that is that same life that raised up Jesus flowing on the inside of you. But in verses 5 and 6 in Romans chapter 8, he says this. He said, to be carnally minded will produce death. But to be spiritually minded will produce life. Zoe, the life of God, will produce life and it will produce what? Peace. To be spiritually minded will produce life and peace. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3, he said, set your mind on the realities of so, so what's real in heaven should be my considerations. What's real in heaven should be my realities. Come on. We, we, we talk about manifesting heaven on the earth, but how can you manifest a place you're not aware of? How can you manifest heaven when you're more conscious of earthly realities? He's telling you you are dead to it. And if you're dead to it, that means it can't flow in your life anymore. The only way it could flow is if you think you're still alive to it. And that's what that's what Satan was doing to Eve in the very beginning. And that's what he's doing to Christians 6,000 years still. Trying to tell you, you don't have it. But if you'll do this, you'll get it. Eve stood there before the tree that she had passed many times and seen all the time. And God said, don't eat of that tree. You'll die. He wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. But the Bible tells us that Eve was deceived. She didn't know who she was. It was about identity. She didn't know who she was. And Satan stood there before her and said, If you'll eat of this, you'll become like God. But in reality, she was already like God. God made Adam and Eve in His image and in His life. He made them to be like it. But Eve didn't know who she was. So Satan said, if you'll eat of this, you'll become like God. In other words, the thing that you so desire. I know that you're that way, but I'm not going to tell you that you are. But if you'll do this, you'll become like that. And the Bible says in verse 6, it says that in that moment, Eve saw that that tree was good for food. Wasn't that she saw it with her physical eyes for the first time. With her imaginations, her soul, she saw it differently. All of a sudden she saw, if I'll do that, I'll get what I need. And as a result of doing that, she lost what she had. She lost, listen to me, she lost what she had. She lost what she had. Is it just possible for the believer? Because remember, we have all authority over Satan, right? Jesus said, all authority is mine. If Jesus has all authority, that means Satan has. Amen. And if I have the authority that Jesus has, that means Satan has how much over my life. That means Satan can't do it. If he can't make me sin, don't get mad. But if he can't make me sin, he can't make me. Can't. It's impossible. But see, it's the disconnect. We, we view that relationship that Satan can't make me sin. We're okay with that. 
I, I control my emotions. I control my temper. I control whether I flip off somebody on the interstate or not. I control those things. But when it comes to sickness and disease, we don't see ourselves as the master anymore. We see ourselves still as a slave. We see ourselves as, as distant, connected. All of a sudden, we see ourselves as the woman with issue blood trying to get to the healer to get my healing. We have to see ourselves. It's, got, it's, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift. It's a change of perspective. I have to see it from the perspective of heaven, not from the perspective of, of the earth. It comes down to this. You could be saved and go into heaven, but if you still have a cursed mindset, you're still going to get cursed results. Even though you're going to heaven. Thank God I get to go to heaven. But he wants heaven to be made manifest in your life. But the way heaven is manifest in your life and you walk in divine hell is that we have to see it from his perspective, not the sinner's perspective. If I'm responding to the world's problems the way the world responds, that's telling me I've still got a cursed mindset. Y'all are getting quiet. I was trying to finish up. You get quiet, I keep going. <laughs> Because when you get quiet, that means you're thinking. And if you're thinking, that means we're, 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 we're hitting something there. Because it's something, well, when you start thinking, that, that should be your blinking red sign. Okay, this is something I need to work on. Because your brain's starting to go. But that shows you, I need to work on this. I need to work on this. Because if, if I'm having to try to comprehend it there, I'm trying, the wheels are turning, that means this is something I need to renew my mind. I've got to do some meditating on. I need to do some thinking. Of, oh, I need to do some considering on this. Because obviously it's not real enough for me just yet. And, and it's not a critical thing. It, we're all growing. We're all at different places. And I'm not saying I've arrived. Because there's different things to me. I won't tell you which ones. But there's things to me that are still big to me. And I'm working on it. I'm this weird one. I'll get on Google. And I'll look, I'll look at some crazy diseases and, and just messed up bodies just for the fact that while I'm looking at it, to remove the wow factor. I'll look at disformed bodies. I'm not weird. But I'll do it just, <laughs> just, just to remove the whoa. Because if you're wowing, you ain't there. If you're going whoa, you ain't there yet. No condemnation, but you ain't there yet. Remember what we told you last night? Whatever moves your emotions... That's what's moving your faith. And that's what shows you where you're really at. And that's where that's a sign of where we need to grow up. So I want you to say this. This is where confession is a good thing. You can renew your mind. Say this. And it'd be good for your brain to actually hear it. Because some of you say this for the first time, your brain is going to go, oh, what? I'm dead to sin. And if I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sickness and disease. From this day forward, I'll never be sick another day in my life. Never be sick my if Jesus can't be sick, I can't be sick. If Jesus is dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. If Jesus is dead to sickness, I'm dead to sickness. If Jesus is alive in the God, I'm alive in the God. The same life Jesus lives is the same life I live. I'm alive unto Him. I'm connected to the life of God. And I'm disconnected from the curse of this world. The law of life in Christ Jesus is the law which operates in my life. I am the righteousness of God. In Christ, I am right. I am holy. I am perfect. 
I am pure. I am a master over sin. I'm a master over sickness. I'm a master over cancer. I kill cancer. I kill leukemia. I kill viruses. I kill bacteria. I'm filled with them. Filled to the full. And overflowing with God himself. The same life that raised up Jesus from the dead is the same life that's flowing in my mortal body. A thousand may fall at one side and ten thousand may fall at another. But sickness and disease, it cannot live in me. Because when it touches my skin, it touches him and it dies on contact. And because of what's flowing in me, the rightness that I am is beginning to change the wrong things in my body. I'm no longer a slave to disease. Jesus made me a master. He made me a master. He made me a master. I'll never be sick. I'll never be sick. I'll never be sick. It's impossible for me to be sick. Because I'm the rightness of God. Now you need to think about that. It's impossible for me to be sick because I'm the righteousness of God. Impossible. Because I'm so right. Because I'm so right. You need to see yourself like a bug zapper. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light, that glory that shone out of Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration on the inside of you. That when disease tries to touch you, just dies on contact. People are going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh at you. But I'm telling you, when push comes to shove, I've already experienced it many times. The ones that criticize you and make fun of you, when the rubber hits the road and they need a miracle, they'll call you. And that's where you got to swallow your pride. Instead of just saying, die, sucker. <laughs> Say, great grace and mercy be multiplied unto you. Yes, I'll pray. <laughs> you didn't want me then. You want me now? Okay, I see how it goes. So we've got to get to this point of changing our perspective. We don't have an equipment problem. We have an awareness problem. We have an awareness problem. Praise you, Jesus. Anybody got any other testimonies from last night before we go? Yes, sir, in the back. You got to speak louder a little bit. Temperature for three days? Uh, no temperature? Praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody else? I'm trying to get you out of here. You're holding it up. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you? Anybody else before we go? We'll be back tonight and you can share some more. Amen. All right.